This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite Live, presented by my bookie. I'm Aaron. Oh, wait. No, I usually say all the other stuff. The world's best All Elite Wrestling podcast, devoted exclusively to All Elite Wrestling, the Elite Extended Universe. I said the live thing and threw myself off. See, it's dumb. Gotta just keep my normal patter. Uh, I'm Aaron. I'm joined, as always, uh, by my good friend, Nate. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. It's me, your good friend. Um, I've got over here on my other monitor, got got the Al Jazeera live stream pulled up to see uh, what's going to happen, not with the Jake Hager fight this week, but with uh, the orange Cheeto in the White House, folks. See what he's going to say. Um, very amused. The Al Jazeera English live feed on YouTube uh, has the title of their channel, has like a shitload of red button emojis in front of it. Like they're trying to cheat by putting themselves at the beginning of the phone book or something. Uh, what's up with you? Uh, not much. I uh, have gotten really into Limp Biscuit in the past week. Um, so I'm dealing with that myself. I'm not sure what's happening other than I'm regressing to like my 14 year old self. Uh, but yeah, I'm obsessed with Limp Biscuit now. How do you feel about that? Uh, I, I don't want to come down on you too hard, but you're a little late. <laughs> uh, the, the Limp Bizkit critical reappraisal was, I don't know, five or six years ago probably is when it was determined that they were good all along and we were right to think they were good in the first place. So, uh, you know, I, I guess better late than never. Yeah. I've decided, uh, they were good. They were good. The, yeah. there's, there's like this uh, hipster thing that's like, oh, you know, the guitar player was good. All the music is good. Like Fred Durst was a little goofy at times, but the music is good. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it doesn't even really come into it, I don't think. It's I, I, it's sort of beside the point whether the music is good. <laughs> it's that's just, fair. Yeah, Limp Biscuit is good. The music is not relevant to that conversation, I don't think. <laughs> All right, we're also joined by our old pal, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey y'all, can I can I see some lighters up in this crowd right here in this live yeah. chat? Galaxy, I'm loving those lighters. Put hey, some y'all. lighters in the chat. <laughs> Galaxy. Hey y'all, it's your old pal Iron Mike Spears. I'm doing all right. Uh, if you all could turn and look to my whiteboard, I do have a thermometer for my mental health check, and I am doing in between Ooh. okay and good. Nice, yeah, looking pretty healthy there. Yeah, you know, all things considered, uh, you know. I'm just keeping on, keeping on. You know, I'm very here for Aaron just embracing the Florida magical realism that I've been trying to push upon him for the last year now. So, I, I mean, I'm going to be headed down that way in the next few weeks. I'll make sure to get you a photo of Jacksonville when I pass it by. You know, I might just go drive by Daly's place right now. I feel like that that's something that I should do. But, yeah, everything's going pretty well. But, uh you know, just keeping on and really enjoying your rebrand as someone who loves brands. Thank you. Yeah, I am going heavy into 2021 as a Limp Biscuit fan. <laughs> That's my new brand. And I would just like to say, uh, Ben Stiller, this episode is dedicated to you. 
is he your favorite motherfucker? <laughs> yes, I told you, didn't I? Uh, okay, the reason we're doing this live episode is we've been doing this Patreon for like a year. So this is our little way of celebrating uh, a year of Patreon. We did light live on Wednesday morning. We're doing this live. And of course, we'll be back late Saturday night with a live full gear instant reaction. So if you uh, follow us over on Twitter at everything AEW, we'll let you know when we're about to go live. Uh, I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah. Subscribe to the podcast. Please give us a rating. Give us a review on the Apple podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. And if you're listening right now, you've already subscribed at patreon.com slash everything elite. Uh, but to our non-live, non-subscribing friends, uh, head over there and check us out so you can support the show. We're going to jump right in to the game that's taking the nation by storm. That's right. It's elite or delete. Nate, buddy, uh, I think everybody agrees across the world that this was an excellent episode of Dynamite. So uh, what was your favorite part, your elite pick from this week? Yeah, great episode of Dynamite. Considerably better go home than their previous one here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make it a turkey. I'm going to go three weeks in a row. The combination, the dueling promos of Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. Thought this was the standout segment on a very strong show. Uh, Eddie Kingston just, you know, regularly operates at this super high level. And, uh, you know, he has enough history and uh, verite there with John Moxley to really make for a uh, exciting combination. Uh, he just brought the fucking intensity to make this feel real. I will. You know, Eddie Kingston was so good in this that he almost made John Moxley, who's like, you know, top three promos of the year. Like he kind of exposed him a little bit like, oh, you're doing WWE stuff a little bit like but That's just the level Eddie Kingston's on. So you, you can't really fault John Moxley for that, because, again, he is still among the best in the world. Uh, but yeah, it was fantastic. It heightened what was already a very hot storyline going into the main event match, which is what more can you ask for? for uh you know the main event of your pay-per-view and they did it i i think in an effective way by you know they didn't want any physicality they didn't want to give anything away they didn't want to do the big brawl that leads to the match that you know is a little bit is well trod ground in wrestling uh but they just had enough intensity where they were you know smashing their faces against each other and poking each other in the head that made it feel very tense uh and didn't just feel like pro wrestling. It was tremendous. And it's something that the intensity, I argue, worked even better. The fact that they did that people can't touch and they didn't like do the dumb thing sometimes where you have security in between the two or you have wrestlers try to do like this. It felt very personal in a way, like getting into each other's each other's space, like Eddie Kingston. Like It's something where... It's each time he comes out here, he knocks it out of the park even more so than before. And just like the way, just like from physically emoting as Moxley's like speaking into his ear, talking about his mom and talking about all of that and how you you hear him like shouting like through the, the off microphone, but you could hear it through that microphone shouting about how you're out to kill him, you're out to kill him and him storming off. And then just like afterwards, like the amount of like sheer emotion that you could tell like the two of them put to put through that John Moxley would like took a moment in the ring and just went like, that was something. And it's, 
and, and it, this is something that had like a high bar difficulty to clear and to further ramp up my interest in the main event on Saturday. And I feel like they absolutely knocked it out of the park on a strong episode. Like Nate said, this was by far my favorite thing as well. I'm glad that Nate brought it up now because it did really deserve to get the leadoff billing and literally it just was so exceptional that I went back and I watched the promo today and it holds up so well. It's amazing. Yeah, I watched it again today too. I'm not sure it was planned, but it was really cool the way they did the part where Eddie was facing the camera, but Mox was kind of talking behind him. It was like, uh, for my for my theater kid heads, an interesting piece of blocking that <laughs> I'm not sure I've seen in, in a pro wrestling promo before. So I thought that was cool. Um, the one thing I will say is like, there's been some, you know, the the people you would expect of saying like, oh, this is pro wrestling is not hard. This is the way you do pro wrestling. It's like, yeah, if you have two of the best fucking talkers in the world, I mean, these guys are exceptional at talking and at selling a personal feeling pro wrestling story. So it's not that hard, but it's a lot easier when you have guys who are this good. Yeah. The, um, I do want to dig in on, you know, previously talking about this feud. I said, well, you know, Eddie's, Eddie's like kind of the baby face here. Right. And I don't think Moxley really, uh, uh, disproved that here in his responses to Eddie. Um, and that that goes a little bit hand in hand with my uh, you know thesis that Eddie kind of exposed Moxley a little bit. It's just like yeah, I'm, I'm on a different level than you, because Moxley's big line was oh you broke a promise to your mother, but earlier in the same promo it was like yeah I, I broke a promise to your mother man sorry, uh, didn't have any sort of you know had no excuse for that had no justification for that I was just like yeah that did happen but you did it too and it was very bad, so uh, you know doesn't really have the moral high ground there. I, I just think that Eddie is so good and uh, I don't know if he's relatable, but he is uh, sympathetic, I guess, but also, you know, still comes off feeling extremely dangerous, but it's going to be hard for him to stay a heel. And I think that's a testament to how well protected and how well established John Moxley has been. Like this company actually has a genuine top champion babyface who's actually over as a babyface and gets the reactions they want and even when he's going up against you know a, a quote-unquote hardcore favorite wrestler who's just fucking killing it on the mic for months at a time he's still getting received as the babyface and the fans are booing the other guy which is like you know that just wouldn't have happened in american wrestling five years ago all right so here's the question to me i mean i think the problem with Eddie as a baby face here uh, is that, or as, as a heel here is that you have to think he's wrong for being pissed off that this other guy made it and didn't bring him with him. And I'm not, I don't know as far as like the fan base at large uh, to me, it read, he reads as more of the, more of the baby face than anything. But I do think, it was obvious from especially that promo last night and the whole feud, but definitely last night that Eddie feels like he belongs, that he it doesn't seem out of place in this uh, main event title program. Now, obviously, I mean, I've been saying for a while that I thought we were going to uh, Mox versus Omega to put Omega over as, uh, you know, someone for him to really beat to get his first title reign over. But am I crazy for thinking that 
it would work for Eddie to win this match and for Eddie to be the champion in this promotion? I... I like the idea, and as like a long-term Eddie Kingston fan, he definitely deserves it. But I feel like that having him be a long-term champion would be to the detriment of others in the promotion. I think that what they're trying to do with Omega finally, like you can't start and restop that too much. And this is just kind of like a happenstance thing that you know what I would do actually after this go straight in on him versus either Cody or Darby coming out of this pay-per-view as like the major TNT feud. I think that that's would be a, an interesting thing. I think that Cody would get completely swamped in promos or Darby who just doesn't do promos. But I feel like that that's where he is. Cause he's definitely now positioned himself to be that top tier player. I just think that they've like had so much stuff planned and it definitely now feels like that Kenny Omega is, ascent is now totally being it's in some ways that's like oh you did so well that we're not even thinking about oh wait we're supposed to be looking towards 2021 and kenny omega as the possible champion here but it's interesting it's interesting question though yeah so you presented the question a little bit like oh this is this is a while i'm pretty sure i did propose that they used eddie as a transitional champion you did yeah have him beat moxley use that to get the belt over to omega without having omega and moxley wrestle you know keep them apart for a little bit uh it it feels a little bit less likely to me now because also on this show we saw a pack promo that was largely centered around the words of eddie kingston the words of eddie kingston were swirling around in pack's head so it kind of feels like that's maybe the next direction for eddie in which case i don't know that that's going to be your title feud maybe that's just like your next you know maybe that's how you reintroduce pack and have pack beating eddie up next so uh, uh I'm kind of inclined to say that Moxley is still going to win. I do want to point out one other. Uh, this was a, a result of me, like I said, rewatching this promo like Mike did and browsing the YouTube comments, looking for my favorite uh, YouTube comments of the week, as I want to do. Uh, and this is just a nice detail um, for you know the kind of people that love your Kenny Omega symbolic storytelling with his gear and his you know half wings on his gear and all this shit. Uh, Eddie was wearing a basketball jersey from above the rim, a Motaw basketball jersey from above the rim, which if you haven't seen the film, uh, again, I took this from a YouTube comment, so I, uh, I'm stealing it from somebody else who I didn't, I'm not giving any credit this time, uh, which is a, a movie about a guy who's conflicted about which uh, basketball team he's going to play for in this big tournament and ends up, you know, matched up opposite a, a former best friend of his in the finals for the big dramatic confrontation. Uh, and then the, you know, spoilers, the end result of the movie is uh, there's violence and homicide, which is just like a very good parallel to this story. Cause that's the story they're telling that these guys used to be friends. Now they're opposite each other in this big match. And he told them they're going to have to kill me. So I guess my, my concern is, and I guess I've complained about, or con- been concerned about this a lot during the rise of AEW, which is like, you have a guy who has caught on and it's maybe you didn't bring him in thinking, oh, this might be a top guy. Like we might be able to really run with this guy, but then it's worked. So I worry he he loses to Mox. You run him into a feud with Pac <clears throat> and he loses to Pac. Do you ruin or like lose this opportunity of having another top guy in Eddie Kingston if you beat him too much? I don't think that that's... A, uh, I, I think that you 
don't really have the worries of ruining him. I think that he's someone that, like, I think it's different in a way that he's primarily a promo guy. So he could, so you could beat him and he could promo his way back getting his heat. This isn't like, uh, uh, this isn't like Brody where now Brody's been off TV since losing to Cody. This isn't like Archer who's just out in the ether and, and quoting Dylan Thomas promos on dark. I think that this is something that it would be a concern if it wasn't someone with this particular skill set. if that makes sense. Yeah, I just people have to win in pro wrestling to to remain over. That's just my only thing. So, oh, oh no, that that that's entirely justified. I just think that if you're someone who's that level of a talker, that as long as you're not beating him like a drum, I think that he can get his his heat back. I just always think it's interesting what you do with somebody when you didn't expect them to catch fire and they do. I think you can Either you can go go one of two ways. Well, I guess you can go three ways. I'm talking myself into a bunch of ways here. One way is, oh shit, we got to go with this guy. Like, see what happens. Two, you just kind of enjoy this thing that you've caught as it is, and then you go back to what your your normal thing was. And then three, you just kill the guy, and then he, you know, <laughs> it ends up killing any mystique that he suddenly had. So I'm interested to see which way they go. All right, Mike, your elite pick for this week, please. Everyone would think that with my dad, Pac, being back on the show, that I would be big upping him and picking him as my elite pick. Not so fast. My elite pick of the week is Miro versus Trent and how awesome of a match this was. I feel like that a lot of the Miro discourse is so exhausting that I just don't even let it even cross my mind here. But this was like a really strong like G1 style uh, match where like this is Trent at his best selling his ass off and getting and taking a whole lot of real dumb bumps and you had Miro who came off looking awesome you did have a little bit of Dark Order stuff at least with uh, Orange Cassidy and all that and then well, with all, all that thing then you have like Orange Cassidy coming out there and the, my, my one big thing that I've kind of taken away is for a promotion that's a lot of Cody working through his daddy issues that this is really promotion about about moms. It's it's promotion about the sons and their moms because Miro brought up that uh, that that he has no manners and that's because his mom and, and hopefully that means that we will get something here where Trent yet again defends Sue's honor. So I thought this match was a blast. I thought it was the best match in the night. Uh, like uh, like as Nate said, leading off like this was just a solid night of the show for the most part and overall much better uh, go home show than we've seen from them in the past. Uh, yeah, I agree. Trent, I think, is underrated, generally, just like as a as a worker, underrated. And he showed here like something that he's really exquisite at, which is uh, bumping around. And it kind of works even better against a guy like Miro because Trent is on his level as far as size, and he can still make Miro's offense look really good. So I thought he was great here. Yeah, if you hadn't, Trent himself was going to be my elite pick. I just thought he was that good here and generally. So there's a lot to get out of Trent. Yeah. Exquisite bumper. Well said. Um, yeah, this was good. Um, I, I, I don't, I think the finish was good in that it really, I don't think hurt Trent too much. It was a good solid win for Miro. It's, you know, always nice to see like a television match with two pushed guys and just have like a clean finish is good, but you kind of gave Trent it out. He slipped on the ropes they made that look uh, 
it didn't look like a botch. It looked like it was part of the match, and you have Miro going right after him and taking advantage of the mistake. So you can view it through that lens, and it worked perfectly. And, you know, Trent's in the tag team division, so uh, Miro, who I presume is not going to be with Kip Sabian for, uh, you know, an ex- prolonged amount of time, is, is probably going to be more of a singles competitor, I would imagine. So, you know, it's okay to give Trent, I think, a loss when that's not going to be his focus in the near to medium term. My elite pick going to be a little bit of a surprise, maybe uh, not someone that I have been uh, exceptionally positive about. Uh, I'm going to hand out my elite to one Tony Khan. And the reason is this. After the go home show for the last pay-per-view, Tony talked about how he thought the show probably wasn't very good, that he had gone too heavy on angles uh, and maybe, you know, at the expense of, of wrestling and at the expense overall of the show. and. He put together a really good show last night, and I think he deserves credit for recognizing that it went poorly, but not just recognizing that it went poorly, but clearly trying to figure out why and looking at a way to make this show better. Now, it doesn't make up for the fact that they kind of did all the build for several of the matches on one show (laughs) when they've had however many months since the last pay-per-view, but uh, you know, a go-home show is such an important part of a wrestling promotion, and he did badly one time and turned it around, did well this time. So uh, kudos to TK. Yeah, I'll I'll dispute a little bit. They didn't do all the build on one show. They just did all the good build on this one show for the most part. Like they've been trying to plant seeds for a lot of these storylines for a while. And we've known what the matches are for a while. It just, uh, you know, it took until this show, I think, for a lot of those threads to come together and for a lot of those pieces to fit together. And, you know, not everything got super hot. You know, they didn't they didn't suddenly turn FTR and the Bucks into a super hot feud or something. But I, I think everything is in a better place than it was a week ago. So, and, and you know, stuff like the Moxley and, uh, and, and Eddie stuff was already a home run and now it's like a grand slam. So, you know, it's definitely a successful show in that regard. It's something where there is certain things that you when you like looked at like the show last time and it was just like promo, promo, promo. The the thing that got me here as I'm pulling up in my notebook, this this week will be my last week of using this first notebook. I filled it up. Breaking out a new notebook for for starting at next week's dynamite. But it, it it's one of those things that it wasn't just what they had like this. It it's not putting on stuff like a uh, kind of a weird way to do a tag match except a tag match it's not having jericho versus joey janela here it's not having moxley versus mark sterling here it's something where nearly every single thing was either to to continue a few that's going to be happening at the pay-per-view or something that's not going on the pay-per-view and taking it to the next step and i feel like that that more so than just like segment by segment it's doing enough there that like continues like with the natural nightmare stuff going on against Butcher and the Blade going on here. That's going to be paid off there. And I just feel like that this show was a lot more flowing and did not feel as exhausting by the end of it as the last go-home show. And it doesn't help the fact, it doesn't hurt the fact that, like, you use the last segment to, like, in, like, an innocuous tag match that ends with Cody basically calling Darby's bluff. And I feel like that that was a strong way that if you're going to do an angle to go off the air, go off the air with, like, the person who is now calling himself the ace. So then cutting the big promo and that's like your big stare down on the feud that really needed it. Uh, yeah. Two points. I think Cody's 
Cody, his promos are always better after the intensity of a match. He should only cut promos right after he's wrestled a match because uh, they just feel realer and they're not, you know, you don't get the vibe that they're rehearsed and overwritten. It just feels like he's fucking talking. Um, and two, uh, sh- shout out to Thoros in the chat. I did not see his message about uh, Miro beating Trent because Trent's a tag guy and he's a singles guy. I wanted to, so I did not steal that point from him. We arrived at that point independently, but he also had the good point in the chat. Uh, listeners offered up some elites and deletes this week and our good friend, our subscriber, uh, table, I am the table, uh, said his elite pick was Sammy Guevara with baby face level energy. And then two segments later getting heel level energy. Uh, I agree with that. It was like, Oh, what a breath of fresh air. Sammy Guevara was on this episode. Yeah, we missed Sammy. Um, and, and I think that was kind of a testament. We, you know, we uh, are not the highest podcast on MJF, but MJF turning everybody else in the building into a into a babyface when they were opposite him is a, you know, I think pretty good testament to him being an, an overheel. And it's something that if there's going to be like some big uh, double or triple turn, as I've been calling for in this feud, it, it shows that like someone like that like they had the flexibility to work as that and i mean the the thing also about sammy is probably if we're going to talk about and we get down to it later this year talking about our elite awards that's what we're calling them now the elites or do we have a better name for that but the everything elite awards he, you have to start considering sammy guevara as most improved because that shows a level of flexibility that i don't think he necessarily had either the flexibility or the confidence to do so early on in the promotion I don't agree. I've always said Sammy Guevara is very good. I always think I think he's always been this good. All right, let's move on to our delete picks of the week. I didn't put my my initials here, folks, but I just want to be clear on the run sheet. The second one I will be talking about. So, <laughs> okay, let me let me clarify what that is. Nobody steal my uh, my delete here. So, Nate. Other than that, what was your uh, least favorite thing from the show this week? So, like I said, really strong show. My, I have, I have a minor quibble for my delete. Uh, as listeners may know, I'm uh, at the time of viewing the AEW Dynamite episodes. I'm typically in, you know, Belarus or Bolivia or Bulgaria or some other B country. So I watch on Fight TV. Uh, the audio mixing on Fight TV was pretty rough on this show. I don't know if it was on TNT, uh, but there it were a was- number of just audio miscues where they had, you know, uh, tracks overlapping. You had a video track and then the commentary talking over it. And then a soundtrack that was not meant to be on this portion of the broadcast or whatever. Uh, and then just also the mics for the dialogue. A lot of the time were like unintelligible, even on like pre-tapes, maybe even especially on pre-tapes. Uh, they just did not have the correct sound <laughs> going out. Um, so that was my main annoyance on this was there was multiple times I was like, I can't understand what this person's saying. It sounds like they are cutting a promo on uh, Evolve on a Flow Slam show or something right now. <laughs> yeah, it was something that I, I watch uh, through YouTube TV. So I watch through what would be the TNT feed. And I know AB watches through linear cable that I was I was Okay, remarking. Grandpa. I, I, 50, I mean, 50 plus AB over here on linear cable. <laughs> he, he was the person that uh, TK was going after with Cinderella being played. Uh, it, it, it's something where I don't, it's something with their mixed 
their mix was terrible because I heard like the big thing was like during the pre-tapes, like hearing the audio through or turning down, not turning down rather the in arena audio that so you could hear like a weird echo and the acoustically was completely off. And so I know that like this promotion usually doesn't have as like apparent production issues, but that was something that I noticed all night. And I think you're dead on about it. You just kind of wonder what was the deal. It was not just you being in Belarus or in Italy. It was, I think universal. Yeah. Listener full metal praxis. His delete was not having a direct audio feed on the taped promos. Come on guys. He asked, is this GCW? Okay, I'm really, uh, I'm not comfortable with the amount of uh, preparation that this new feature is expecting me to do <laughs> to make to make sure that it doesn't seem like I'm stealing people's points. No, it's I good. I don't, I don't read any of this. And then no. I, I get here on the show and it's like, oh, actually, Thoros just said that. Actually, uh, Full Metal Praxis just said that. So uh, great work, Nate. So it's, it's good because then I can just weave that right in there. If you remember the first week we did these, it was uh, pretty rough. So actually, I kind of <laughs> like it. Yeah, I'm just imagining you know, myself in, in uh, Full Metal Praxis' position. Like, I can see the fucking run sheet, Nate. I see that it's on there. <laughs> well, I haven't looked at it, so don't blame me. I don't know that Full Metal Praxis is an $8 subscriber, so he maybe not. He may maybe could not have seen the run sheet. So you really outed yourself here is what's happened. It happens. All right, Mike, buddy, what's your delete pick from this week? I had one moment that I was screaming at my TV this week. And this is not the, I'm not going to steal your thing here, but you know what this is. This is after the Bucks got beat down in this tag match against Private Party. Kenny Omega comes out to help, and Adam Page kind of just like stumbles out there, and they were able to get FTR to the back. And then you have like this moment where he's like staring at his empty uh, whiskey tumbler. He should have smashed it on Kenny Omega's head, finally give us something for this feud that wasn't just like basically. Kenny being the egotist and uh, Paige is being portrayed as a dumb drunk who's not on the level, who does not understand what's going on here. And that was one thing that like they completely missed the mark on other than the thing. I know you're just about to talk about it, uh, Aaron, but it was, it was so frustrating because you like, you like saw this coming and I was like, Christ, smash him with the, the glass. You've, you've done broken balls before you're in Florida. You can smash him. You can get blood. Like this is the time to really do this and finally do something for this feud that desperately needs some sort of thing to happen with it. And no, we didn't get it. And it's just, it, it like we talked about like how Eddie Kingston, like what do you do with Eddie Kingston after this? What do you do with Hangman Page if he does not win this match and does not have, like turn or something or like show some sort of edge? Because if anything, it, we're kind of almost back to where things were before the last, the last all out where it did not feel like that they're doing this guy any favors. And, we're having the same conversation a year later. Like, what's the deal with Hangman Page and how they're portraying him now? Yeah, I did want him to hit him with the glass in the moment. Um, I wonder if that was a red herring because they had him come out and the glass was already empty, which made me think, oh, they're not just trying to illustrate that he's a drunk. Like, he has that for a reason and it's probably gimmicked. Uh, so I, I did want that to happen. Um, and yeah, we th this storyline have kind of hit the same beats on it. Many times, as far as specifically, I guess, with with respect to Hangman vis-a-vis -vis the Elite as a whole and the Young Bucks specifically within the Elite, the stuff with Kenny, I'm more positive on just because we haven't seen the match yet. They're probably going to have a really good match. We got a cool video promo for it on this show that kind of just hit the tone like 
dead on to the point where I was like, okay, like they know what they have here with this feud because they know what they're doing with the music. So I'm more positive on that angle of it. But yeah, in terms of this whole going in circles with, oh, they're friends, they're not friends, they're friends, they're not friends. I am just very hungry for that glass breaking moment. Yeah, I'm bored of of the Adam Page character uh, completely at this point. It's like, okay, what are, what are we doing? Let's uh, let's get somewhere with this guy. But hopefully, a loss to Kenny will be just the perfect push to get that character to go in a new way that will hopefully be interesting. But we'll see. Uh, my delete. I think everybody knows that I've been really irritated with the build for Nyla Rose and Hikaru Shida. I don't need to repeat all that. Luckily. Our good friend Cody gave me uh, the impetus to get pissed off all over again today in his... Hey, Aaron, uh, I, I'm hearing a noise right now. What's that? <laughs> Come aboard, buddy. Get on board the take copter. I'll let you take the... Take the that take the that take copter is flying very slowly. I don't know <laughs> if you're getting the velocity to get up in the air on that thing. Well, I didn't want to go... Because I... Don't know how I feel like that that would have been like a nice way to go slowly into the soundbite, Nate. Now we're explaining my jokes. <laughs> You're explaining your jokes, yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm mostly glad that you did because I'm trying to find the the exact quote from the thing there. But I just remember that I, I retweeted it. It's yeah. So did so, the everything elite Twitter account. So either of those. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, and this was uh, Joe at, at VOW uh, tweeted this out. Cody says, in regards to Sheeta Nyla, for 20 years, fans have been conditioned to think every match needs to have a storyline. Says that match is number one contender versus champion. Sports-centric. Not every match needs to have a war and peace build. Well, as someone responded to me, all of Cody's matches seem to have a war and peace build. It's just other people don't need have that build. Okay, a few things that irritate me about this. One, as I think Garrett Kidney said, like, Okay, maybe, you know, that's a reasonable thing, except the the women's matches always get short shrift in AEW. So I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this. Two, sports has storylines. Like when you're talking about a big NBA finals, a big any sort of match, a big Super Bowl, it's not just, it's basically never like, Oh, I hope we get to find out who the better team is. That'll be so exciting. Who can execute the pick and roll better? It's like, oh, Delonte West fucked LeBron's mom. You know, like there's always a personal story for people to get excited about and to latch on to the characters. Nobody, I mean, there's like a very small population, but most people don't watch sports to find out who the best team is. There's something else that grabs them. And so in this story, which I'm using very liberally, in this feud, they did nothing to give us an interest, like a, a rooting interest in who should win this, other than like, we all kind of like Sheeta, right? So we're going to root for her. And then you have this like old thing that they haven't even really repeated or built upon that uh, Nyla said, everybody else that wins has a manager. So I had to get a manager. So here's Vicky Guerrero. So we don't really have anything to grab onto. And Cody just saying, oh, well, uh, have you ever watched a sport? It's like, come the fuck on. You know, it's very irritating. Just be honest about the fact that you haven't put as much care into this and uh, do better next time. But instead, 
this is the crap that we get. So that's my delete. Cody, get out of here. Yeah, I said this on Twitter, but I, you know, I think he's right that we have been trained that, oh, there has to be some sort of underlying story to all these matches. Uh, that's sort of the expectation we have, mostly thanks to WWE and how they've done pay-per-views. Um, and I think he's right that there's value in doing it a different way, doing it like more like New Japan, where it's just like, oh, well, this guy got the last big win in this division, uh, so he's going to challenge for the belt uh, you know, in six weeks at the end of this tour. And just, you know, from here to the to that tour, we're going to build by having these guys in six mans or whatever and having them, you know, get heated at each other after matches. I think that's also valuable. I think there's, a, you know, a great place for an American promotion to be is in between those two spots. And that's a great way you can use the rankings to be like, hey, Nala Rose, number one in the rankings, she's going to challenge Sheeta in X number of weeks at the pay-per-view. That's great. Uh, but yeah, like I said on Twitter, it's the only women's match on the main card of one of your four big shows of the year. There should be more attention paid to it than <laughs> Hikaru Shida accepting the match or demanding the match in one 30-second promo two weeks ago and then Nyla having a warm-up match this week. That's not even anything. You can do sports-style number one contender against the champion uh, and have just more meat on the bones than that. And on top of all that, yeah, you can do the conditioning. Yes, you can do this. But you can't just, like, immediately do that and use that as justification here when you've completely negated this championship ring. I mean, Hikaru Shida has virtually been a non-entity here. Like, how is there supposed to be any sort of investment other than champion versus number one? Like, get out of here. Like, that that's non-existent. Like, it, it, if you were going to have this, then you needed to have Hikaru Shida on TV each week taking care of business and doing like this and then going like, well... Now I'm going to go against the number one contender. Nyla Rose has fought her way back up to number one. This will be a rematch from Double or Nothing. But that's not what happened here. As Nate just said, we've had very sparse like things like this. So you, you can't even say that the rank, ranking justification here. I mean, like when you like think about times where like they've had like a title match that was like set up by this, there's other justification other than just point to graphic put up each Wednesday. You, it, it doesn't wash with me. It doesn't wash with me, baby. But here's the thing. Even if you're watching a sporting event where there is no narrative storyline to grab onto, the way you can get something to get excited about is to bet on it over at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code ELITE. Get a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Uh, there's lots going on. NFL. College football, although I think like four college football games have been canceled for this weekend. Uh, there's plenty of sports going on. So head on over to my bookie. Uh, Mike, what have you been laying some money down over at my bookie recently? I know a big thing was the the odds went crazy on election night. And Joe Biden suddenly was like a plus 800 favorite or something insane. And it's something where like... I got in on the Mid-American Conference earlier this week, and I was able to do that. But here's what I got in on the presidential election, because I, I got in a little too late, Bentley. I got in a little too late, and I was able to get some money on it, plus 180. I do know that he was up to, like, plus 800, which is remarkable. Well, our, our friend uh, Thoros, who I know used the promo code ELITE at my bookie, said he's going to make 644 bucks if Biden wins. So 
Shouts to Thoros. Congrats on that new PS5, buddy. All right. Well, follow Thoros's lead. Uh, I mean, you've already missed the opportunity to to make a big buck off of uh, Joe Biden winning. But head over there, my bookie. Use the promo code Elite. Get your uh, double deposit match. You put in a hundred, they'll give you a hundred. You put in a thousand, they'll give you a thousand. Uh, and begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie. Weird uh, ratings week, that's for sure. Uh, obviously, it was the night after the election, which was still. Uh, you know, kind of up in the air late Wednesday night, but AEW surprisingly uh, resilient, 717,000, only down from a 781. Uh, they did drop huge in the in the overall where they were in the demo, 56th in the demo, but a 0.3, which was only down from a 0.32 and the two weeks before that were 0.3. So very resilient week for AEW. NXT, not so resilient. 875 down to 610, 68th in the demo with a 0.14 down from a 0.25. It, it's something where, like I've been saying, AEW's environmental, but this was interesting. I thought that they would pretty much take it on the chin a lot more than they did instead of still being on the plateau. You know, like it's kind of remarkable. They were still number two non-news program but beneath the, uh, the Real Housewives of Orange County. But it's interesting, like, it makes me think that a lot of people were like looking at a, or they were more wanting to have some sort of escape or they were just dedicated. So I thought that's kind of remarkable as we are in a pay-per-view week. I have run my estimation for buys and it's something where for new listeners, I take a look at the overall viewership of all elite wrestling over a five week period before each pay-per-view and see how many of those result in buys. It's called a conversion rate and doing this for, now the I think it's about like the fourth show I've done this with. It's kind of gotten to a point where it kind of goes with what my gut reaction is. My estimation for buys is ninety seven thousand three hundred and ten. That's a little bit down more so than usual, but you know if everything going on, I wouldn't be surprised that's the case. I, well, what is what are y'all's feelings about the upcoming pay per view buys and in, in terms of like viewership and just like your overall takes from this week? I think it's probably right in the same range that all of their previous pay-per-views have been at. I do have a theory that AEW is resilient just because uh, AEW viewers are, as we know, younger than your typical wrestling fan. Um, more, what's the, they have greater buyer buying power than your normal wrestling fan. Uh, and I think they're just more sophisticated than your typical cable television viewer. So they knew that there wouldn't be any news of consequence and that, uh, 24-hour news rots your brain, uh, and that it's much healthier to watch for us. Yeah, I think all that's fair. I think the resiliency, I was really, I know, and I've bet on it before that their buy rate was going to go down, but the resiliency from uh, the the television viewings really make me feel like they're going to hit that 100,000 number again. I wouldn't expect there to be much float up or down. It's just, this is their audience, and those are the people who are going to show up. So I expect it to happen again. All right, let's run down the things from this week we haven't gotten to yet. This is week 57 of AEW Dynamite. We start out, uh, Dasha Gonzalez is there with Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, and Santana. Jericho's putting over Hager's big Bellator win, even though Hager looks like he got the shit kicked out of him. Uh, and I understand from the live reaction from last week that he did get the shit kicked out of him. Um, MJF comes out with Wardlow. He's saying, eh, I thought we had some tension last week. I don't really want that. 
Uh, but I'm glad you're going to be on commentary because you're going to have a front row seat to see I belong in the inner circle. And then Jericho tells MJF that he thinks there's something missing in him as far as, you know, joining the inner circle. Hager, Santana are tough, all crazy, willing to do anything to win. He thinks MJF doesn't have that. He thinks he's a little soft. So MJF tells him to just watch, uh, you know, and we get a little foreshadowing for later in the episode. This I, thought run- this, I thought this was pretty solid. You know, I, I liked them kind of coming in on this and... I, I don't know, like, keeping MJF to, like, a two-minute promo seemed to be a little bit more appetizing than usual. Yeah, well, uh, the runner-up for my delete on this show is probably Chris Jericho on commentary. Um, just, you know, defaulted to yelling too much and defaulted to, you know, your sort of hack JBL healing and, you know, bickering with the other announcers or burying Excalibur or whatever too much. Uh, he just didn't have the... You know, usually there's a couple things in each episode when he's on commentary that you can latch on to and be like, oh, that was funny. Or, oh, uh, you know, he was kind of charming here. Or, oh, he did a really good job explaining the motivations and putting the storyline over in this match. And I, he just was lacking in that department, I think, and was not a positive on the commentary desk. This went right into MJF and Wordlow defeating Sammy Guevara and Ortiz. MJF submitted Ortiz with the salt of the earth armbar. And right at the end of the match, someone who looked like they were Serpentico hit Sammy with a chair. Turned out it was Matt Hardy, who is not at all built similarly to Serpentico. Uh, and then after the match, we got MJF spearing Jericho through the like background thing that sits behind commentary, which uh, looked pretty good. Yeah, Jericho must have liked when Orange Cassidy did that spot to him. So he's just like, let's run it back. Hit me through the big thing. Uh, we went to <laughs> a uh, an interview, a pre-taped interview with Kenny Omega. Uh, Tony Schiavone tells us he's at Kenny's house. But then Kenny, who, by the way, is in a T-shirt and pajama pants, uh, very quickly intervenes to say, this actually isn't my home. I've just bought a temporary home in Jacksonville to focus on the tournament. So I'm not really sure why that needed to be said. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I, it's kind of... It's silly, but one, it's better to say your stars have a shitload of money in the first place. So that's good because it makes them seem like stars. Uh, And two, I just like the idea that there's so much importance on this television tournament that he's, you know, (laughs) doesn't want to travel. (laughs) It both amused me, but like didn't detract from what the actual story is. No. And this is like, you know, the dumbest, most nitpicky point, but it's just like, why can't Tony Schiavone just be like, we're at Kenny's new temporary home here in Jacksonville. I understand you bought this just so you can focus on the title tournament. Sure. <laughs> you know, was, uh, anyway, just funny. Uh, Kenny, I don't know. This part kind of lost the plot for me where he's talking about the promotion supposed to be about wins and losses mattering. Uh, but in the NFL, I would have gotten two buys to the finals. Uh, so it was just like, I felt like he and Tony were trying to tell two different stories in this part of the interview. Yeah, uh, but then he- I, I was going to say uh, it, it's something where like if wins and losses mattered, uh, Kenny has not had big singles wins before this tournament. Like out like this year, like when they, they brought him up on this year, he's had like five singles matches. So like he's he if he's ranked, he's ranked out of recency. So no, he would not be getting those buys. Uh, I think it's just uh, him trying to accent that he's a heel now. I think that's mostly what it is. 
uh, you know, they kind of did it with the run in that we discussed earlier uh, that Mike deleted. You know, Hangman, I think now is supposed to be the sympathetic babyface uh, because, you know, the Bucks proved that they're good guys after all. They helped out Brandon Cutler, their friend, and apologized. Hangman, uh, you know, came out to save them, even though they've, you know, been at odds and stuff. Kenny was late to come out and join them. So I think they're trying to accent that Kenny's again. If it wasn't clear enough from the prolonged ring announcements for his intro, he's the heel. Right. Especially since, you know, there was the previous story where Paige was always late to come out. Right. So I think they're kind of trying to uh, show the parallels there. So, and he says, okay, now it's me against my tag partner. Uh, and this is like the first time that he points out like, oh, I think everybody knew that's how this was going to end up, which Adam Page says again later. He says, but I've won every tournament I've ever entered, uh, the most important tournaments in the world. So who do you think is going to win? You'd almost say I'm destined to win this tournament and become the next champion, which is a little weird considering like he probably is going to win. <laughs> you hate to see the heel just say what he's going to do and then do it. It's yeah, certainly unconventional, but yeah. yeah, Adam Page's whole character in this is pretty unconventional at this point, I think. So true. Uh, Miro defeated Trent, as we talked about, with the game over after the match. Rusev kept the game over on. Chuck made the save. Uh, Kip cleaned house. Uh, but uh, Miro is telling him because he cut a little pre match promo about uh, Trent not having manners. He's, I told you you have no manners. It's all because of your mother. About this time, Orange Cassidy comes out, hits Miro and Kip with the orange drop. Didn't mean to hit that P so hard. Sorry, Mike. Uh, Adam Page is with JR. He's also talking about how obvious it was. They were going to end up in the finals together. But he says he knows all of Kenny's moves, knows how to reverse them. So that's how he's going to win. Jim Ross thinks maybe he's lying. He's actually nervous. He's trying to uh, overcompensate a little bit. Page ultimately agrees. And then he gets to the point that's like, okay, here is an interesting thing for, for Adam Page. He says, when this company started, I said I was going to be the first champion. Uh, I was the only one who believed it. And the people who didn't believe it were right. Uh, and this is the closest I've gotten since then. If I lose, all I have left is this glass of whiskey, which it sounds uh, cringy as I read it, but it came off well, I thought. Yeah, and this is something that I would say that JR, as much as he gets warranted criticism, he was, like, him driving that question, I felt like, was the one thing that provided, like, the aspect of Paige that we see the doubt and we see, like, justification other than he is sad and he drinks. He's like, well, no one's believed in me, and now I'm all alone, and if I lose... I will, will just have drinking. And I feel like that that was actually a good use of like JR, like using like the, this kind of sit down thing and being like, yeah, no, you're lying. Let's go. Let, let's talk about the truth here. And I thought that that was actually like a pretty good role of an interviewer in this process. Yeah. It, it does read kind of cringe. I do think maybe we can say something that in less capable hands, like I'm not saying it's great, but I think Adam page in the, on the scale of professional wrestling acting is like probably better than replacement value. Like he has some pretty good line reads and this, he like admitted that he was scared without it seeming ridiculous or unnatural. Just think, you know, there are much worse uh, actors in wrestling than him. And if they were attempting to do the storyline, it would, it would be, you know, almost unwatchable as opposed to like, Okay, that's unconventional. Not really sold on this yet, but they did a Bucks FTR hype video and you know hit the same notes they've been hitting. This story's been building for a long time. 
they have clashing styles. And that was basically the whole point of the video. Uh, Taz came out with Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. He says to Will Hobbs that he's losing his patience. You're either with us or you're not. Uh, but then he quickly departs from that because he says he wants to talk about sitting outside Tony Khan's office for three hours, trying to get two minutes of time. But a production assistant told him that Tony didn't have time for him. So now instead he has a live mic. He talks about the ranking system, which he likes, says Brian Cage is 10 and one, number one in the rankings. Ricky Starks has won 10 of his last 11 matches. He's not even ranked. Uh, Ricky Starks says, here are the facts, Jack. Every opportunity this company has given me, I've knocked out of the park. That's why I can't figure out why I'm not ranked. And I don't even have a match at full gear. And then Taz also turns to Cody. He says, Cody goes by the motto, do the work. He says, well, Team Taz does the work, but right now we're getting worked. But we will have a presence at Full Gear. So a nice little tease for Full Gear. Great segment. Taz is great. I love their willingness to have a manager, but also just let Ricky Starks cut his own promo. Like that's just beautiful because, um, you know, they're both obviously great on the mic. And it's like, hey, now you don't have to go out there and do acting and scripting for 10 minutes. You can go out and cut a two minute promo and Taz can cut a four minute promo. And now you both come out of this looking great. Uh, and this this angle, this complaint that, you know, they're getting screwed by the system and the rankings is perfect for the FTW team. So, yeah, just tremendous. And it adds something that's going to be interesting to see on the pay-per-view now that they say that they're going to do something to just mess the pay-per-view. And it'll be interesting to see, like, how the presence is going to happen. And it's something else that did not even, like, cross my mind as we were previewing stuff as the build-up. It's like, what's going to go on with Team Taz here? And now we have some sort of thing. And now knowing that there is maybe something with, like, the Darby and the Cody thing they could show up in or just in general, like, it adds a new, like point of intrigue in a pay-per-view that didn't exist before next up is going to be the young bucks private party match but as private party is coming out uh, matt hardy's with them sammy attacks matt hardy Uh, so they use that to continue setting up that uh the young bucks then defeated private party with the bte trigger after the match ftr attacked uh they're going for the attack on matt's ankle again but Hangman Page comes out and intervenes. Then Kenny comes out, and Kenny and Page kind of have a little face-off. Yeah, uh, I thought this was a good match in that the Young Bucks put over in their promo that they're best when their backs are up against the wall, and that was basically telling the story through this match of Matt's working on a bum leg and Private Party had them beat like three or four times or whatever uh, and, and you know alluded back to their previous match that Private Party actually won. Uh, but the Young Bucks proved, no, you know, actually we're the best tag team or whatever. You put us up against the wall. We're going to react like a star team does and just win anyway. Uh, so it was effective in that regard. I thought that this was probably like not the, this was probably the worst wrestling match on the show, but it was effective for what it did. So I was pretty okay with that. And I like the aspect of now the Bucks aren't going to give Private Party an inch and they aren't going to allow them to kind of go for that roll up pen that they did before and I thought that was really neat and I like the fact that you know like as we as Nate talked about uh, about like Sammy like Sammy showing his versatility coming out here and just braining uh Hardy before the match I thought that that it's a nice way of doing multiple things across for this thing I mean you pretty much had three feuds right now intersect within this 15 minute period and I feel like that it was kind of definitely handled in that regard other than uh Paige should have brained him with the uh whiskey glass I've said that before though 
Yeah, they did the same thing in the main event, but uh, yeah, so they did a good job of weaving those stories in and out of each other, and also, you know, they, being adjacent to the match, but not you know cheapening the match or making it feel like a stupid fuck finish to annoy you. It was just like this is happening, you know, uh, uh, in the proximity of the match. We're having these other stories continue to to play out. So yeah, you know, I don't would have to check the check the notebooks, check the clocks to see if this show did have fewer angles and fewer talking segments than their previous go home show did. Uh, I think it just had better ones. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see talk segments and angles and stuff uh, liberally dispersed throughout the show. I just want them to be good. Yeah. It's, I think though, they just like, there was very little wrestling, I believe on the first hour of that show, as I recall, but it has been a while. Uh, okay. What do we think of the reports that Matt is, has like a legit knee injury. Um, no way to know, really. I could certainly buy that he has hurt his knee in some way and is continuing to work. Uh, I also think it's probably pretty elementary for him to work Dave Meltzer. So I think it's just unknowable. It's also like knees are such like a complicated thing that what was like said was torn or was stretched out what he might be able to be someone that can get clearance and show like full range of motion, be able to put weight on it. Whereas other wrestlers or athletes in the past are not able to. So, I mean, unless it's one of those things that it's like, all right, we, he's not getting clearance. I just saw that there was a tweet being made about the fact that he was cleared. So he can go against, as he calls it, the boar horseman. So we will have that. You know, I, it doesn't really change my thought on this. And now, you know how much the Bucks like selling a body part and making that into a multi, multi-month thing. So, I mean, just strap in. We're getting Matt, Matt Jackson's bad knee for the next few months. It just worries me that if it like needs to have any sort of surgical treatment, that FTR is going to win this match. <laughs> I don't know. I just they, don't are, um, they did uh, suggest or allude to or for what's the fucking foreshadow. That's the word. They did foreshadow a Nick Jackson run on the BTE two weeks ago, I believe, uh, and had a vision of the future. Uh, you know, they do a lot of foresight uh, soothsaying on, actually, they really do. There's also a whole fortune telling character on the show. Anyway, Nick Jackson was the merch freak and he was holding the TNT title uh, in a vision of the future. So, you know, maybe they are trying to suggest that Matt's going to be out for a bit. Uh, and Nick Jackson's a really good wrestler. Uh, next up was the. Eddie Kingston, John Moxley talk battle that we've already discussed. There was one line that I wanted to bring out, which really goes to this Mox being more of the heel, which is a great line, but I'm not sure your baby face should say, it must be a scary thought that after 18 years, you find out you didn't deserve it after all. Like, that's fucking brutal. Pretty, pretty stiff. <laughs> wow. Maybe that's why it says, oh, you're about to kill me now. You're, maybe that was like, Eddie, like, this is not a, this is real now. Like, God. <laughs> I'm probably going to watch this this like talk segment another two times for the show. Well, I have to watch it again now that you guys talked about it. I'm like, fuck, it's, I'm fired up to go watch it. I mean, watch this and watch the next segment, of course, the return of Pac. Of course. Of course. I would never skip that. Uh, there was a Pack video. Uh, the audio was really bad on this, I thought, and it made it hard for me to understand. I mean, he's already oh, got oh, the accent. accent. Yeah. Yeah. So it made it pretty hard for me to get. But I think the point he was getting about getting to 
was he says the funny thing about isolation is you've got nobody to play with. And he talks about how he's been isolated for seven months. He says, but don't worry about little old me. I've been here before, you know, referencing his long time spent at home when he left WWE. Uh, and he says he's gotten better and stronger and faster and more obsessed. Yeah, he's awesome. He's very cool. He's insane. He looks insane. He looks insane. <laughs> uh, the video, the the slow start to this video, there's just like very wide landscape shots of him on a beach or under a lone tree uh, are pretty, uh, pretty new to American cable television TV wrestling. Uh, and I thought they were awesome. Just like, look at this fucking weirdo out here under a tree with his giant muscles. Uh, yeah, he's, (laughs) he's insane. Can't wait for him to be back. Um, yeah. I, it's not just that like he he is like this, he manages to get a shirt that somehow is like two sizes too short on his neck. Like it was too, it was just like, he just looked like insane on this couch. And of course can't understand a single word he is saying because he has a Jordy accent, not Scouse. Like I said before in the uh, live chat and the discord, it is Jordy. I was wrong there. I was very tired, but Pack is back, and I'm stoked. I mean, like, I'm okay if they just have, like, several weeks of just crazy Pack videos where he's just standing underneath trees, sitting in that same room that he's filmed stuff in before, just staring at things. And, I mean, he, he, we talk about stuff with, with, like, Eddie. There's your feud right there. Like, really, I know you mentioned that, Nate, but there's your feud right there. Yeah, throughout this video, uh, interspersed with him talking to clones of himself and his weird Geordie accent, uh, there was a clip of Eddie going like, where's your little British friend or whatever uh, was was cut in the mix. Uh, so obviously those words of Eddie stealing the death triangle away from him are, uh, are weighing on Peck. Alex Marvez is backstage with the Natural Nightmares. He announced they're going to wrestle Butcher and the Blade next week on Dynamite. The bunny comes out. She says QT's credit cards are maxed out. She throws them at him. And then the Butcher and Blade attack the natural nightmares from behind. Butcher did a discus kendo shot. Uh, great, great segment. Next up, Nyla Rose defeated Red Velvet with the Tamashi. She hit a beast bomb, uh, picked Red Velvet up at a two count, and then stared at Sheeta while delivering the Tamashi, which was excellent and makes me even more irritated they haven't spent more time uh, building this up. After the match, Vicky talks some shit to Brandy, calls her the chief bullshit officer, goes to Sheeta, says Nyla's going to beat her up, hits her with the sumimasen, excuse me, in Japanese, tries to do like the weird like screeching that she does when she says excuse me, but it came out really funny, <laughs> I thought. Uh, and then, yeah, Sheeta and Nyla got into it. Yeah, the the premise here of her doing her excuse me uh, catchphrase, but in Japanese is very funny. Uh it I probably could have been executed better, but I appreciate the effort. Uh, just another, you know, if you're like half-assed following this promotion, you must be so confused about who Brandy Rhodes is and what she's doing on this show. Just like now you're now you're managing this this girl I've never seen before, but you're also a brand officer. I don't is that is that a gimmick or is that a shoot? I don't understand. And, and it's something that's almost to the detriment of Red Velvet because Red Velvet, I felt like, was awesome in this. Like, just bumping her ass off, making Nyla look even more awesome than usual. And it's like, man, everyone's going to be like, okay, like, this happened. Because you're going to be wondering, who is this person that's beat, that that uh, Brandy is managing? And they, it's just, like, such, like, a mess. Like, the more I think about this, 
thing. Like, how easily would it be to unweave this mess? And the way that they try to say, oh, wins and losses point to the rankings instead of saying, oh, okay, because you could have had, like, the whole entire thing. Like, there's so many different ways they could have done with this feud, and it's just frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I do think it helps Red Velvet that at least it distinguishes her from, like, oh, this is not a local competitor who's going to, you're never going to see again. Like, at least it's like, oh, that's interesting. She's she's with Brandy. So, you know, she at least jumps out of you for that reason, but just perplexing. Then they did a Kenny Omega Hangman Page hype video. Uh, the most notable thing about this is that it was set to a song uh, by the band Cinderella. And I think I'm the only one who was down on this. So I'll just, I'll let you guys know. do your thing. I don't, I don't think you need to say anything about it. It was just tremendous, nice off the beaten path choice of music, which hit the tone for the feud perfectly. It's like, it's kind of been melodramatic, but you know what this was, Aaron, is this was lampshading by way of music licensing. They're like, oh, it's been a little melodramatic. Well, let's lean on that. Let's make that the fun part of the story and let's give it a fucking big ass 80s ballad and put it on top of there. And it's something that I, I understand that you probably would have gotten it more, Aaron, knowing your music predilections if it was outside by stained with uh with Fred Durst on uh vocals from the Family Values tour in 1999. And they you had it with like very like slow with with Adam Page there. But no, they had to go for the power ballads, uh infomercial music, and I feel like that, that was perfect in this instance because who doesn't remember the uh, late 90s, early 2000s infomercials for the Power Ballad DVD s- CD set that came with uh, Cinderella on it. I thought if it you funny. wanted to hit real nostalgia, including wrestling nostalgia, they should have just done this to my way, uh, the, the Lip Biscuit classic. No, this view doesn't work for my way yet. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not right for that. Yeah, my way is a different energy. I All mean, right. it, it would have it been just as successful because people would have... Yeah. popped for the reference to oh attitude era right yeah like but, you could do that but it's not that feud it's like yeah for keisuke okuda and kaido ishida my way would have worked but for this no all right what if you were gonna set this video to a lip biscuit song which would have been the best one hmm crack addict <laughs> i don't even know that i mean i know that's off like the results may vary album right which I don't know anything about. Um, so the Limp Bizkit album song that I probably listen to the most is the Pharrell remix of In Together Now, which is just <laughs> which is just a legitimately great song. Uh, I'm not even familiar with it. So it's uh, I think they had a remixes album or something. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, when you when you look at Limp Bizkit, you have to do like a ballad for the for the melodrama. So your choices are like you're my way rearranged. Um, you know, my generation at a stretch. Yeah. Uh, so that's tough. I guess I'm going to go with, uh, take a look around the mission impossible oh. theme cover. Uh, right. Cause then you have to make the video like six and a half minutes long. <laughs> oh God. I'm just imagining six and a half minutes. And of course, like 30 seconds of it would have been from the stadium stampede. So yeah, I think that was the one to do. Okay. That works. I just wanted to make sure what we were all thinking about that. All right. Uh, what happened next on this show? There was a Darby video, and it was, you know, pretty much like your normal Darby videos, except that he ran over 
uh, in a car, a guy in a Cody mask. Uh, favorite detail was that he painted the windshield of the car with half face paint on the windshield, which was like, who, who does that? Who thinks of that? It's great attention to detail. I saw some of our listeners pretty down on this on this video. Uh, I, I think it. it was better than the Steve-O one. Yeah, like it, it's something where it's Darby. Now they've been having these videos of Darby pretty much since his introduction on Dynamite that it could have. I mean, like, we barely... I, I get that, like, how they're trying to portray him and use, like, the things, but it's it's lost all effectiveness, I feel like, in a lot of ways. No, what I think that's a great, great way to uh, maintain his character and establish his whole vibe and uniquity outside of having him in the ring every week because they clearly don't want him to be an every-week guy on in wrestling matches. What about Limp Biscuit featuring Scott Weiland? Hold on. Is that a? Is that a? That's not. Is that an album cut? It is an album cut. Which album? Off of Chocolate Starfish. Oh, Ooh. and the hot dog flavored water, of course. Yeah. Uh, that's too deep of a cut for me. Uh, and uh, the, he's uh, not. He's not credited on the Spotify listing. Oh, Scott there Weiland. you go. There you go. Uh, oh, I was a Lincoln Park kid more so than Limp Bizkit. So. I can see that you don't like curses. <laughs> that's right famously famously clean new metal band Lincoln Park that, that, that's it that's it that's right uh hold on is has a great melody the chorus is excellent so I uh Nate you should listen to it after the okay. show the uh I know, I know you like melodies <laughs> yes that's true I guess it's technically in together remix it's technically check, the check Neptunes out. not not merely uh Check out my melody. Not merely Pharrell. It's it's all of the Neptunes on that remix. I saw Nerd live once, and I'm trying to think of who I saw them open for. I uh, was on stage with Nerd. Whoa! Jumped around with Pharrell while they were playing a uh, rock star. There's some lore. Oh wow! Tell us more about that. Uh, that's when more lore. Played, that's when they played uh, the University of Miami's homecoming event. I don't recall the year, but I was on the concert committee, and we were. Working backstage, I had uh, greeted Pharrell as he got his limousine to take him to the stage on the uh, green grass of the main like stretch in the campus. The limousine just drove right out onto the grass where the concert stage was. Uh, I escorted him backstage, and then like halfway through the show, you know, I was like a junior, and the senior who was like in charge of the committee or something was like, "Do you want to go on stage?" I'm like, "Uh, yeah." And then like 30 seconds later, we were all on stage somehow. There you go. <laughs> That's good, Nate Lore. Um, I I looked it up. I saw Nerd open for J. Cole and Jay-Z. Oh, nice. Yeah, Wale was supposed to be there, but he was at like the um, BT Music Awards, I think, or something like that. I feel like maybe Pharrell's weird in that like he's certainly a, a significantly bigger musician in terms of output and influence than J. Cole, but I guess you can't argue that he should go on after J. Cole, especially with Nerd, right? Like, Nerd kind of brings the act down a little bit. Yes, and this is also before, like, Happy. Yeah, but I have, if you can go back to fucking, I mean, Pharrell's been, I made this tweet, uh, <laughs> so check that out. It's been, like, you know, maybe one of the top five most important Musicians in American music for like since like 
whenever Rump Shaker came out, like the late eighties, like 92. just a number of ninety-two. Okay, <laughs> great pull. <laughs> I had, I had just pulled up Pharrell's wiki and yeah. literally had just read Williams wrote Riley's verse on Rex and effects 1992 hit rump shaker. Okay. Nice. Nicely done. Way to work those <laughs> wiki fingers. Uh, but you just look at, you know, the number of huge hit songs that he produced. Yeah. Even before you get into like nerds hits, his own solo hits, and then like happy, which was like literal global phenomenon status. Yeah. It's remarkable. That's all true. It's just like, him playing a set, he he doesn't have like a lot of songs he can play. Yeah, that's what makes it weird. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, you know, I I, I think everyone would be you'd be more excited to meet Pharrell than J Cole, <laughs> but it's still hard to argue that Pharrell should go on after J Cole. I think. Yeah, my favorite Pharrell thing is him getting the uh, flame tattoos removed from his arm. Mm. I mean, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but he allegedly had a skin graft to like cover up the tattoos. Uh, and his reasoning was, uh, I'm a grown ass man. I can't have flames on my arms. <laughs> <laughs> Sound reasoning. <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought that was pretty good. Oh, that's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's uh, when I saw Nerd. I've got a real fun set of tabs open right now. <laughs> okay. Main how, event. how was the, what was the venue and how was Jay-Z's set? This was uh, on the campus of Northern Kentucky university. Oh shit. They got a, they got a big entertainment budget. They do. Uh, and Jay-Z was very state schools for you. Yes. Jay-Z was very confused about, uh, he thought he was in Cincinnati, and he, of course, <laughs> was not. He was in uh, Highland Heights. This is real uh, I Am The Table uh, content right now. Mm. Uh, yeah, so he was very confused. He was asking everybody about that. Um, it was an excellent experience. He was great. Uh, Jay-Z was great. He did, like, you know, the songs you would expect, but then he did a part in his set where he did um, – montage isn't the right word what's the medley yeah yeah medley where he hit like a bunch of big hits Mm -hmm. in a row where he just like hit the best verse and the hook and then went into the next song and uh, that worked pretty well i i also had tickets once to when jay-z and young jeezy toured together and it uh conflicted with kentucky's second round matchup against cornell and so i had to skip it sadly but you know. That's uh so yeah I, I I saw I saw him uh, probably in the same time frame, um, I tried to see him twice in Miami. I saw him once, uh, where he did that medley, and it was really a precursor to the DJ battles that they do now, or the producer battles that they do now, where it's just like two people on Instagram live, and they just go back and forth like, hey, remember this fucking song I did? Uh, yeah, he was just doing that. He's like, hmm, let's let's get another one. Uh, what's another hit song? Hey DJ, and they play it. Um, you reminded me of two things. I also was going to see him. He was doing uh, a pair, uh, some concerts for Barack Obama's uh, campaign. Just like, hey, Jay-Z's fucking performing in Miami. Free show for Get Out the Vote for Barack Obama or whatever. Uh, he did it like a Friday show, and then they added a Saturday show. So went down on the Saturday to like a band shell on like Biscayne Bay, uh, and it was extremely hot, and it was like packed in there. Uh, Pitbull came out and was the MC. This was before Pitbull was, you know, famous outside of Miami, but was like, you know, a... a uh, local star uh, and Pit- Pitbull came out and was like, I think might have done a couple songs 
And then everybody did the long wait for the Jay-Z. And then Jay-Z didn't appear. And was like, oh, we're, it's too hot. We're canceling the show. <laughs> and just like, this, this part might be a, uh, 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 a planted memory or something that I've invented in my head. But in my, in my memory, there was a yacht that you could see in Biscayne Bay. And I think I remember people saying, oh, look, you can see Jay-Z fucking standing on his yacht out there in the water instead of coming up here and doing the show. Uh, the other thing just reminded me of the line by John Moxley in their promo. He says, the loudest one in the room is the weakest person in the room. And the crowd like popped for that and did like spontaneous applause for that line, which I Googled and was from Frank Lucas in the movie American Gangster, uh, which of course Jay-Z did a concept album based on. So there you go. Excellent. That's uh, you really tied all that together, Nate. So thank you. Good job. That's podcasting folks. We're doing it. Cody and the Gun Club defeated John Silver, 10, and Colt Cabana. Austin Gunn, in his dynamite debut, in-ring debut, gets the win. He pinned 10 with <laughs> the quick draw. <laughs> the Golden Retriever of pro wrestling wins in his debut. That's right. Just insane. Like, I, it's still something I'm wrapping my head around, is that Austin Gunn was in the go-home main event last segment and won the match. Like, and it was a fun match. Like, it was something that, like, the fact that, like, we we are now in an age of AEW that's John Silver on leading, leading actually, really, his team versus Cody, uh, Billy Gunn, and Austin Gunn. Like, this is just insane in a lot of things. Uh, fun match. Uh, Austin Gunn, uh, he's excitable like a golden retriever. And I'm happy whenever I see him on screen because he looks like he's so happy. Yeah, and I liked, again, the the sort of feud interplay you had here where, you know, Orange and John Silver, you know, continued to go at it. Yeah, just made sense and didn't detract from the match. Just kind of all uh, pulled some threads together in a satisfying way. After the match, Dark Order surrounded the ring. Uh, John Silver is planning to come from behind uh, with a chair, but Orange Cassidy comes out to make the save, hits him with the Superman punch. Then we get that Cody promo we talked about. He says, I don't like telling a story that isn't true. My opponent at full gear is telling everyone that TNT doesn't want him as the face of the network because he's too reckless. But that's a fiction. TNT would love it. They love it. If the circumstances were different, I would love it too. After all, I solely recruited you. And then he gets he starts shooting on Darby a little bit. He says, I'm the one who floated your name to the EVPs, and they were so unsure that I had to wrestle you myself. He tells Darby to take a good look. This was the uh, the line that got all the all the press, <laughs> all the press, who said, you're looking at the man who left the empire and went to war, and that pisses people off because the truth that I speak contradicts the lies that a lot of people live. He says, if That's you a want good the- line. That's a really good line. Have it to- is. A lot of his lines are, are overdone, but that was well done. No, that was well done. He says, if you want the ace belt, you want the ace belt. Here's the problem. You're not the ace. So it's just like, this weird thing with Cody, where he's obviously the babyface, the crowd uh, takes him as the babyface, but it's like pretty on the line of heel shit to be like, you're not, you ain't shit. You're not good enough to beat me. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've said a lot that part of Cody's charm is that he's kind of a dickhead at times. Uh, that I think that was especially the case on BTE. Not that he appears on there anymore. You have to watch Sam Guevara vlog to see him on the vlogs. Uh, but that's that's kind of his his humor, and that's kind of the real part about him that people can latch onto is that like he's got just a little bit of a uh, a swashbuckling dickheadedness about him. I just coined that. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's kind of, you know, I think probably the comparison point is Tanahashi. Tanahashi is obviously a permanent babyface. He was the ace forever. He's always going to be uh, a babyface and in the main Hontai army. But when the situation dictates, like he, he'll be a heel, no problem. He'll cut heel promos on people. He'll be a heel in the ring. Uh, if that's what's ideal to, uh, you know, get, get some shine on the other person. I, I really like the idea of swashbuckling dickhead Cody Rhodes. I think that that's, you hit the nail on the head there. It's something that for the first time in several months, this felt like, I know he said like the ace belt and like the ace thing. This was like, it, it took a while for me to kind of like think that, like I've talked about like when I saw him at double or nothing and like when I, like when he broke the throne in that match, I was like, oh no, now I get who Cody Rhodes is now. And after a full gear last year, he kind of like lost that in a lot of ways. And this was kind of like him like doing like that thing. And cause he is the swashbuckling dickhead. Like it's one of those things that's like kind of part of his charm. And then proceeding to after the show completely just uh, uh, a bit, almost go to tears talking about how he can now use Cody Rhodes as his name now. So I thought that that was all pretty remarkable. All right, we still need to run down the full gear card, but uh, before we do, I just want to say if you if you support the show, if you like the show, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you head over to patreon.com slash everything elite. If you like what you see, uh, you know, subscribe, join up. We got lots of audio over there. We put out uh, basically two shows most weeks. Uh, this past week, we did a full gear retrospective, looking back at last year's full gear and a full preview for this year's show. So you can go get our full preview thoughts uh, on that episode. We also did a live episode of light where Mike and I previewed dynamite reviewed dark and Nate broke down uh, the hot vlog content as I forgot. I forgot we were doing the live episode of that. I was going to do a gimmick where I just watched BTE and did a live commentary over it <laughs> and been like, here's my live contribution, but totally <laughs> slipped my mind. Well, great news. Uh, Nate, we still played your, your bit live. So oh, tremendous people got yeah. to enjoy it live if they wanted to. Uh, and then of course, uh, this weekend we will have the full gear instant reaction. We will also be live. So all that is available on our $5 tier. So, uh, do that. Uh, we also have a discord. We'd love for you to come join and chat with us. Uh, and I'm sure Mike and I are still going to get together. Our, this is John Moxley episode. We'll dive deeply into the career of John Moxley for one of our episodes this month and uh, much more. So head over to patreon.com slash everything elite. All right. We know one match for next week's episode on dynamite and that's natural nightmares versus butcher and the blade. Uh, we there's also Phoenix versus Pentagon too. I just saw that oh. was announced and I forgot to put it on the run list. That's my bad. We have two matches. I, I didn't know that. So I've, you're breaking news to me. So that sounds good. But, but, but breaking news. Sorry. That's right. Uh, full gear. I'll run down the card. Uh, well, let's let's do this. We did a full preview on the Patreon, so go check that out. But let's just say our our winners, in case anything, uh, maybe something's changed since we cut the preview. So the buy-in, and we didn't get to talk about this match yet. NWA Women's World Title: Serena Deeb defending against Allison K. Who do you guys think is going to win this one? Think Serena retains. Uh, Allison K just like left the NWA like within the last week, uh, so very you know funny for her to be immediately challenging for the title now, but makes it seem unlikely that she's going to be winning it. I think that this is one of those tryout things with 
Allison K. I think this is a smart thing. I know there's a lot of people who aren't really in on Allison K slash Sienna. I, I think it's a, a good person to bring in here, and especially with the state of the women's division, as much of a name as you could probably find out there that's going to come in here. I still think Serena's going to retain. Yeah, I think that is uh, the obvious move, but uh, it's interesting at least. So looking forward to that. Uh, this match was moved off of the buy-in. Orange Cassidy versus John Silver. Orange Cassidy win. I think it's Orange Cassidy, yeah. Yeah, we got to get Orange Cassidy some wins. Uh, the Elite Deletion, Sammy Guevara versus Matt Hardy. I uh, presume this is Sammy Guevara's big feud capping win here that they've been building to. Yeah, and after this, like, I know this is the thing the first time, like, what do you do with Matt Hardy after this? But, like, Sammy has to win, though. Like, that's the thing. Well, he's uh, with Private Party, so he continues in that mentor role is my guess. I mean, is it? Yeah, okay. Uh, Chris Jericho versus MJF. Uh, I feel like de- definitely with the story now, MJF has to win, right? To prove that he's not soft. Yeah, I think so. Seems likely that M- that Jericho, you know, wants to be perceived as having made another guy. Uh, so th- that that makes the most sense as far as continuing this story of MJF, uh, you know, versus the rest of the inner circle. Trip, 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 triple turn. I think MJF wins. I think that this will end up having uh, Wardlow break away at this point. I think that the rest of the inner circle save Sammy Guevara is going to turn on Chris Jericho. And I think we'll be getting a whole lot of things doing a big heel unit shakeup coming out of this thing. Uh, the tournament finals, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page. Do we all think Omega wins? Yes. Ooh, a little mm-hmm. doubt from Nate. Oh, no yes. doubt. I think Kenny wins. All right. Uh, women's world title. I think Nyla Rose is your winner. Yeah. I think I said uh, on the preview show, I think that makes the most sense as far as the story of Nyla now getting some competitive advantage because she went out and found a manager. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that for the reasons that listed, it's, it's a shame because like the big match has always been like, Sheeta versus Britt Baker, but Britt Baker's had like one match since the, since All Out, so I don't know if we could even say that she's coming back for that. So I guess it's time to put the back on the belt back on Nyla. Tag titles: uh, the Bucks won't challenge again if they lose. Tully is banned. FTR versus the Young Bucks. I'm just hoping against hope. I got I got the Young Bucks. I guess I'm gonna say FTR. I'm I. I think that's what I'm going to go. I think the the Tully being banned is your giveaway that that's, you know, we're supposed to see it on even terms, even playing field. Uh, and, but FDR is going to slip away with one, and they're hoping against hope that this will make FDR a good act now. I it I feel like that if the Bucks win, they're going to have to be the ones to say, like, JK, we're EVPs. We can do what we want. We're getting back in here. And then, then you have to like have more Tony Khan as like the off screen, the off screen, the off screen omniscient, uh, on the present. Sorry, bleh. English is failing me right now. Uh, then you have to have like Tony Khan and you have like, then you have like an authority figure thing. So I think it has to be Bucks just because they've painted themselves into the corner. And 
I just can't stand FTR. Maybe this is the match that I'm most hoping for for a title change on this show. TNT title, Cody versus Darby. Okay, yes. I think we all expect Cody will win, but does Sting show up? No, I think Darby wins. Oh! By way of Sting showing up, which is maybe Ooh. what I said on the preview show. Sting showing up to save him and Cody from the Dark Order, leading to Darby getting a flash pin, the Last Supper, what have you. Yeah, I, I I buy what Nate's selling there. And the men's world title, I quit match, John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston. Is anybody going to predict Eddie Kingston wins this match? I'm not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Moxley to retain. Can't really complain about that, but in the moment, I'm sure I'll be rooting for Eddie to pull it off. It, it's the real heart versus brain thing here. Like our heart's going to go for Eddie in the moment, but it's just rationally, it's got to be uh, Moxley because I feel like that we're on the road for Revolution. That'll be uh, what will be number two of their series between Omega and uh, and Moxley. I feel like that that's on the uh, offer for the next pay per view. Agreed. All right. Well, I think that's the show for this week. So make sure you're following us over at Everything AEW. Uh, make sure you're going over to my bookie and using the promo code elite to get a deposit match uh, up to a thousand bucks. I'm at Aaron, like the car oh. Nate's at Epitasis. Mike's at Fuji. subscribe to the podcast. Uh, give us a five-star rating and a review on the Apple podcast app. And please head over to patreon.com slash everything elite. It's a big month over there. So we got a lot of content. That's it for Mike for Nate. I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. Okay.